0: Hey, welcome back to another episode of TechBound Podcast, where I talk to the brightest minds in marketing and dissect how they think and what makes them successful. In this episode, I speak to Phil Nottingham, who is the brand and marketing strategist at Wisya. In this episode, we speak about the power of long-form video content, why it's so important to have in your strategy, what it's like to compete against YouTube, and Phil's deep love for music. So make sure you don't miss this, watch until the end, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts to, and give me a thumbs up or a five-star review. Enjoy. Three, two, one. Phil, welcome to the show and thanks for being on. Thank you
1: very much. Lovely to be here.
0: This is going to be great. I have so many questions. The first one is about long form video content. Why? is long-form video content exciting right now? Why is it interesting?
1: Sure, so I'll just start by apologizing to your audience that I sound like I've got a face full of candy. I've I've, uh, just had some (laughs) surgery, so that's why. uh, (laughs) And uh, if you've ever heard me elsewhere and this sounds a bit odd, that's just a bit why. So um, long-form video content, why is it interesting? So I think the the exciting thing and the reason why the the trend is moving from short-form to long-form in my view is largely driven by kind of the desire for companies to, to build brands. Now, historically the way we've done that is always been you know, driven by advertising and short form stuff. But in a world where we have you know, a million ads coming at us all the time, um, you know, skippable video and everything, the, the truth remains, like the majority <laughs> of ads that you interact with, you probably don't remember, you probably don't care about. That didn't used to be the case, but this rule of seven idea that you know you just need to keep building impressions and somehow people remember you, that kind of idea is broken now. So, um, we have to have found a new way to kind of engage people and build up that kind of brand um, efficacy and get people to start talking, communicating about brands. And one of the most clear and obvious ways you can do that is is through long-form content that engages a perhaps a smaller group of audience than some of your traditional ads, but really engages them in a very direct and meaningful way such that they become brand advocates and start to talk about you. So there's a lot of companies that have kind of gone down this route. And, and I think the same trend is, is seen with podcasting. It's exactly the same kind of idea. Well, okay, let's build up this long-form content that goes into certain ideas or topics or whatever in, in a greater depth appeals to a relatively narrow audience compared to some of our other marketing. But the, the aim is to really build a huge audience of advocates and, and fans, really, with the content. And what we're finding is that people who do that are seeing that their, their brand grows organically, that they can improve word of mouth. They have that kind of rock-solid base of fans of audiences who are going to start talking about them and promoting them to other people. Um, so that's how I think it's happening and, and why this trend is starting to pick up in a meaningful way.
0: Talk to me a bit about brands that are doing this really well right now. Sure. So I think it's
1: kind of started off slightly in the B2B space. So we see companies like MailChimp have gone down this route. Um, uh, who else have done it? Someone like Drift have been spending a lot of time with this. So some of the B2B SaaS stuff was started. Certainly you. obviously, that's kind of the, the space we're in as well. Um, but that's not wholly true. There's been a lot of companies that have built sort of web series on YouTube. Um, Uber did some of this stuff. Um and you know there's just been that kind of trend towards longer form can we create a a sort of bigger um piece of content that is maybe dealing with something a bit more depth than an ad would and that seems to be the trend and we're seeing a lot of companies do this On, on the smb side there's a company just down the road from me in london called like andertons which is just a guitar shop and um and they've started making like really long form like every week they release two or three 50 minute videos and They've built an entire brand off the base of this long form web series, essentially. And that's exactly the kind of trend that we're seeing
0: mirrored uh,
1: across B2B and B2C.
0: Why do you think long form works better for that than short form? I I think
1: it's because it's about um, investment uh, from the audience perspective. So, you know, every day I go on the internet and I'm deluged with hundreds of ads. I remember very few of them, if any. Um, And because it's a very one-sided investment, they are spending money and time to try and get in front of me. I am... Reluctant and trying to get away from them, so I'm basically (laughs) always skipping the adult or moving. So there's no mental, cognitive investment from my side. But if I'm going to sit down and watch something for 20 minutes, half an hour, whatever it might be, I'm investing my time and my energy in that. So there's a bit of kind of cost um, in terms of my prehension, and and that relationship is built through that kind of reciprocal investment of time and energy. Um, And so it's really about that that kind of relationship is built through someone deciding to spend time with you. And the only way they can decide to spend time with you is when you have, you know, a a long form content, really, or a product or a service that allows them to kind of engage and invest their time. So if you're providing value for an audience, that means they are able to spend time with you and get that reciprocal value back. Then that's when you're really building up that brand affinity, that loyalty that's going to stand you in good stead for the long term.
0: You know, I've been thinking a lot about Joe Rogan and why he's so successful. I think he's in part political phenomena parts very underrated in terms of how smart he is actually and you know how he pretends to be but do you think that same trend is a reflection of joe rogan's success do you think he's successful because he's going long form and people are so invested yes
1: i mean so i think that joe rogan there's a there's a sort of wider phenomenon i'm not sure you can make the direct analogy with brand marketing but there's certainly some parallels so you know if we think about the way in which media has has gone to try and um, marry the advertising world. So we think about like the Guardian and, and the New York Times have all these ads on their websites and have not really succeeded in building a subscription-based business. What they've done is they've kind of capitulated that world and turned into clickbait and really quick, like snappy headline, this sort of stuff. And an ad advertisers have created that as well. You know, it's just about getting that hook, getting that initial dopamine hit. And Joe Rogan, in that sense, has gone the other way in media, and he's really not about snappy headlines. It's just long-form conversations. He's a very good interviewer. Like you say, he's kind of straddled an interesting kind of political position in that he doesn't really engage with the, the Twitterization of politics and culture, which is all about, like, dishonest representations of ideas and attacking each other and all that kind of thing. And he's just kind of gone back to that and gone, I'm just going to have a chat with anyone. Um, so, so it stands kind of interesting there. But the fact that it's long, that it's in-depth, that it's just sort of, like, got that fluidity to it, I think does, again, hit against the sort of that, the ecosystem of ads which are all about hooks and the same is true with like media and it's all about social media optimization it's all about just basically manipulating the audience into triggering different neurochemical responses from them and that's not what we see with joe rogan and other longer form content where it's all about that investment someone's gonna have in time they get a lot of value from the conversation or the the particular content in question but it's not like triggering them in an a sort of um neurochemical sense to immediately hit dopamine or or push loads of buttons or anything it's not about that it's about actual conversation rather than emotional triggers um
0: and I think that's where it's why it succeeded I'm curious um there is some really great long-form content that that I personally love then Carlin for example hardcore history is absolutely it's just something else I listen to every episode what have you found uh for yourself what what along what from content do you enjoy what do you remember what sticks out to you
1: oh gosh yeah so uh, well so I'm, I'm on like a personal level yeah i, I listen to a lot and, and watch a lot about kind of like um yeah I, i'm very interested in like history of art and philosophy so i i read a lot on that and there's been like lots of courses and things people have put together um, a lot of music stuff so i i you know i, I really enjoyed the bbc did a series about like they explored one piece of music and talked to people about how it's influenced them. And, you know, it was like two hours exploring a single piece of music and I loved all that. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of, I've, I've moved around different kind of weird little subcultures and, and communities. And I, I, I tend to kind of get obsessed week by week with a different thing, I think. Um, so yeah, it's a funny old time at the moment. Yeah. I mean, I'm currently in a kind of binge
0: of musical stuff about like deep musical theory and, and that kind of stuff. So That's been interesting. Yeah. It's funny how everybody is part of a a a tribe but then you know across the internet you'll suddenly find a thousand ten thousand hundred thousand people who fall into that tribe
1: totally yeah exactly and and often it's like really specific and um strange and esoteric and people come together in like a subculture for a certain odd thing and they may be a you know they'll be members of all these different communities and they'll just be one thing that unites them they start talking about it which is lovely in some sense but it's also kind of exacerbated a lot of really dreadful sides of tribalism and um And at the end of that part, particularly, I think that we see on Twitter and then Facebook, where the job is to divide people into groups as possible, where they will hate each other on whatever innocuous, completely um, irrational issue it is today. So,
0: yeah. Yeah, there is a tribe for everyone on the Internet, whether we like it or not. Also, the ugly stuff, right? Um, That actually is a good bridge to the question of distribution for long-form content. How do you think or what do you think are some of the best practices of distributing long form content, making it, making it accessible and available?
1: Sure thing. So, so I think the essential principle to bear in mind is that everything has to be kind of optimized for the platform that it's, that it's being distributed on. The mistake that people make constantly is to sort of think in terms of old money TV. So I think, okay, I've got this asset, I've, I've spent money on this this thing. Therefore, I just need to get out to as many people as possible and in many locations as possible. And that's the way we're going to distribute it. Um, That doesn't really work, and it doesn't really make any sense. What you need to do instead is think about cultivating your audience and your fan base. And the way you do that is by really speaking to them in the most meaningful way where they are at any given point in time and context. So it's not like we tend to assume it's like Facebook is one audience, YouTube is a different audience, Twitter is different. Like this isn't true. It's all the same people. It's just they're in slightly different context at each point, and you need to meet them where they are. So that means essentially like... You know for example youtube is really good for trailers and it's really good for clips so think about it from a media perspective like how you're gonna get people to watch all your stuff you want them to see those initial um segments and you want people to kind of consume as much as they can often if you just shove out like a your full long form piece of content on youtube and facebook no one's going to sit there and watch it because when they're on those platforms they tend to be in a sort of more of a browsing mode YouTube, they might go there specifically, but that's normally when they are specifically trying to find a piece of content and they're going to a destination. But you do much better when you basically create like different clips. So, YouTube, there might be two to three minute clips. Facebook, they're often 30 seconds to one minute. And they are like, you know, with these captions maybe surrounding it. And you really optimize for that context and that location to give people a taster of what you've got. Then the key principle is always well, how do we then drive people to that next meaningful engagement? And that means that often moving them between platforms. And I think that ultimately, you know, from a business perspective, what you want to do is drive the most value yourself. And I think you do that most effectively when you have the full content on your website where people can go there, they can subscribe, give you the email address, watch the whole thing distraction-free, no ads. Um, And then you use all the social platforms to sort of deliver the clips and the trailers that are gonna really generate that engagement on social media and then drive people who are you know, interested to engage a bit further to a platform that you control. So it's basically like thinking of yourself like a media company doing exactly the same thing that the New York Times does, that Netflix does, that Amazon does. You know, social media is great to capture attention and then you need to build your own owned platform to drive engagement. And that's really the the way to think about um, distribution more holistically. And within that, each platform needs its own optimization. That means its own aspect ratio, its own length, its own structure and all that kind of thing. So you have to kind of get quite savvy with understanding different platforms and what works best on them.
0: I love that. That's exactly how I even think about the stuff that I'm doing. So uh, I I think that's perfectly on point. You're obviously very much into music. I see three guitars in your background and I see. Yeah, I have lots of toys. Yeah, piano and saxophones and stuff. Yeah, I love that. I see a a record player and some vinyl records. Mm -hmm. You have all my respect for that. Absolutely love vinyl. yeah, but that being said, say say you started um, or say you were responsible for um, video marketing at a uh, music startup and, uh, you know, let's just say it's a, it's an app for musical theory. I didn't come up. I wasn't able to come up with a better example. But what I'm curious about is, you know, if you had to attract and build an audience with long form video, how would you do that? What would be the first points you would think about?
1: So the, the most important thing is defining and identifying a proper niche audience. So the thing that is that causes the greatest failure with everyone attempting a strategy is they've not really made the content for anyone. They've just assumed that they have like this customer base or potential customer base they can target. And, and it ends up being like very fluffy, not very specific and not very useful. Um, so the key and most important thing and the thing that I consistently always come back to businesses on is they think they've got a good idea but usually they don't. And the reason they don't have a good idea is because they've really not identified who they're going after in a meaningful way. And, and really what you need to do is build it for an existing community that of, of people that talk to each other. Because that's how you generate word of mouth, that's how you distribute it further. So you have to really identify who you're going after and then work out what they care about and start to make something that's like the best thing on the internet for that particular community. And that's the most important thing to start with. The, the other, that, while that is also the, the reason why most things fail, it's also the reason why not very good content can succeed. You can get away with all manner of mistakes, production-wise and distribution-wise, if you've really nailed your target audience and you really have made something great for them. They are so much more forgiving of bad production if you have created something unique that really speaks to them on a, you know, kind of very personal level. So that's the thing you have to go after. Yeah. So that's the way to start, and then you need to start to think, well, okay, well, how can we scale this? How can we build a repeatable format for this particular um, topic or this audience that's going to really resonate with them? try a bunch of things out and know that it takes kind of time to arrive at something that's really good you're not going to get it right first go you're probably going to need you know 10 to 20 episodes to really start finding your feet for whatever it might be that you're you're creating so you know you've got to get good at this and it takes a lot of time and it takes time to find your brand voice once you kind of built that up that's when you can start to think about really optimizing that distribution and that network um that said that there's also a lot of value in distributing before you create so if you can build up a lot of buzz and you can build up you, know, you, can, you can release little trailers. You can start to build up a community of people who might be interested. Um, then you can launch with a bit of a big bang, and you have an existing audience who are willing to share what you're doing. So you know, you can definitely tease and talk about something before you make it. Um, but just, you know, the, again, the key thing is finding those people who are going to really care about what you're doing and, and making stuff for them. So that audience identification is like 90% of the challenge, I think, when you're starting out.
0: What are ways to find and identify and really shape that audience out? Is there any are there any platforms, sites, tools people can use? Is there a methodology or framework?
1: Yeah, I have been using SparkToro a ton since that came out to do this. So, you know, you can you can just basically what you need to do, work out your who who your customer base are and then find examples of, of like prototypical customers and start to work out well, what else is going on in their lives? What else do they care about? What else are they doing? And that's gonna give you a lens into discovering and exploring different topics and different kind of communities. SparkToro is great for that because you can just put in like an interest group. So say, see, I discovered who that I was making something for like a load of builders. And I discovered quite rationally that something that a lot of builders are interested in is like trucks because they're carrying stuff around. Like they, they care about that. Okay, well, let's find out on the internet, like who are the most influential people in, for trucks and then i can find this community okay who follows the most influential people and you can start to build up this kind of this actual database of potential target audience and then you can break them down look at what they really care about look at what they're doing already on social media meet some of them ask them and and you know that is how you essentially build up this picture and this narrative of who you're going after um the other thing you can do is just like use reddit so sub like if there's a subculture there's a subreddit and there's always a community on there talking about stuff and if you can find active subreddits and see that they're slightly underserved in terms of media, then that's when you know you can come in and do something interesting. Um, so it's about thinking kind of orthogonally about who your customer base is. Because your customer base is not like usually we as businesses we start to talk about our customer base as if they're like a homogeneous group that talk to each other. Now it's very rarely the case. They're normally, you know, subsets of different communities and groups that often don't interact. So you need to identify, okay, well, what are those communities within our customer base? and you know, pick one basically. And it's usually for, for most companies, it's going to be narrower than your wider customer base. That that doesn't mean, but there are instances where if you have a very, very niche product that only appeals to a few people, you need to think slightly broader and slightly more about that community. But the the key thing is discovering like who is already talking to each other about a thing and let's make stuff for them.
0: Yeah. Reddit. Very, very powerful. Totally see that. Um, I'd like to shift gears a little bit um, and talk about the, uh, you know, uh, Wishia versus YouTube type of narrative. Uh, I personally know what it's like to compete against YouTube uh, as a former uh, member of Daily Motion, and uh, I can, you know, talk about a couple of stories back then. But I'm curious about your personal opinion, but also about, you know, how what it feels like inside of Wishia, you know, to go up against such a giant, or maybe that is maybe YouTube is not even perceived as a dark competitor. You know, you tell me.
1: Yeah, no, well, it's interesting. Actually. I, I would say that like within Wistia, I'm probably one of the only people that are dealing with that competitor thing day to day and thinking about it a lot because it's very important for our positioning and it's very important for our differentiation, but it doesn't really affect the product roadmap. It doesn't really affect much else because YouTube's gone a different direction. It serves ultimately a different audience. So, yeah, you know, Wistia's Wistia is making stuff for businesses who want to build, um, you yeah, know, that that long term kind of brand. Um, and YouTube's really not serving those businesses as much as it is the advertisers that serves those businesses. So, so we're trying to make stuff for like, those businesses who get squeezed in the middle by YouTube's big audiences of like creators and advertisers. And um, and that means that we end up making a lot of different product decisions. So it's not so cute. Um, but obviously it's the major question that that Wistia always gets in terms of marketing, in terms of, yeah you know, how, how it expand. So that, that becomes an interesting problem for me as a kind of brand marketer to work out how to position ourselves differently. Um, and, um, yeah, it, it's an interesting challenge, but it, it's, it's not been a major problem thus far, I think, because, um, the major challenges of getting people to think more about platforms. And, and again, it comes back to, for me, the problem is once you understand that there's a lot of different platforms and the goal of video is not just like spray and pray, you're not just trying to get out there to make people possible, you're trying to cultivate and build an audience and that kind of thing. You then start to think about these different platforms for what they are. And YouTube obviously provides values that Wishy doesn't and Wishy provides values that YouTube doesn't. So you have to use them both um, to make sense for the platforms in question and you have to, you know, kind of build a strategy that takes advantage of, of all the different distribution channels that you have. And you know, that usually, as I kind of mentioned to start, it means, you know, Wisty is great to build your hub content on your website. And then you can use your trailers and your clips and your short stuff um, to really, you know, entice and build that wider reach that you get on YouTube. But what you don't want to do is build your, um, all of your video strategy on youtube the major error that i see companies make is they just shove everything on youtube and hope for the best but the problem with that is you're just basically gifting google free traffic and they give you nothing in return really um you might get exposure but exposure is not necessarily that valuable in and of itself what you really need is engagement you want people to be really watching what you're doing engaging with everything that you do and becoming you know more engaged over time and youtube is not necessarily the best platform um for that from a business standpoint so you have to kind of like use the two uh carefully together and make sure that you're you're working out how to do it um yeah so so it's just about like don't build your house on rented land don't build everything on youtube because every little change that youtube can make can really come and scuff your strategy um you want to own your audience at the end of the day and the two most valuable assets i see in a in all businesses is like a good email list very important and you need to build it up, and anytime so I'm anytime you can capture an email or drive someone to your website, those are the actions you should take. Um, and the you know that you have to use social media to that extent. What social media would love for everybody to do is just delete their websites and build everything on social platforms, um, of course. But the the world we're heading towards is one where Google and Facebook control all marketing spend, and you don't want to be caught up in that. You need to build. You need to kind of make sure that you've hedged head for that and built a bit of a, a fortress that you have that you can own. Otherwise, you're just going to find that costs rise, margins decrease, and you can't necessarily survive because every business is going to be competing to just spend more and more money on these platforms. So you, you need to think a bit more strategically, I think, than just giving Google and Facebook all your money. Um, but that's what most businesses do. So at you, it's like, okay, well, we're providing an alternative to that. And the best way to use it is is in combination with uh, with the social platforms as well
0: you got my vote for sure and just to point it out you rank number one for the keyword this year versus YouTube granted YouTube doesn't rank at all so uh you got you got that mark ticked uh, and I love that should I say that link, link building paid off <laughs> Yes, exactly uh, all the link building paid off uh and and what I what I love about this is that it's basically an explainer of um of uh what's the difference between this year and youtube uh and what i loved is that you recorded two videos one is uploaded on Vistia and one is on youtube i found it was a pretty cool gangster move to upload a a video uh, yeah this year video on youtube
1: shout out to meryl Ayres who uh who um came up with that idea It was a good one she, she doesn't work for her anymore sadly but uh, she's she's brilliant
0: Yeah, I I really love that. And speaking of uh, SEO, I'm curious if you have noticed any differences in things like YouTube thumbnails from Vistia or from from YouTube. I think that's that's a question I've encountered a couple of times. You know, if I use a a video that's hosted with Vistia, do I get uh, video thumbnails in Google search as well? Right, you, you do. Yes
1: so that you like google do treat youtube differently so everything uploaded to youtube is automatically indexed and visible um with wish you need to do that little bit of extra work um which is just you know we automate it just make sure you're including the json um ld or the schema so that people can see the videos and see this index and the crawlers can make sure it's visible but you i mean you can get a video ranking for any page with any platform um so there's not like that. There's any kind of platform bias from a from an SEO perspective, but there is a sort of, if you like, a kind of authority bias towards YouTube from like a domain perspective. So Google's perspective is kind of like, if nothing else, then YouTube. Um, if if it requires a video, then YouTube, unless there's something better that comes in. So you know, particularly as you're starting out, if you're just aiming for kind of certain real estate, you might find that YouTube is, is the way to do that, and, and you're going to get the the results there. But um, in those cases, I would normally think like you want to you want to kind of hedge your bets, so you can put it on YouTube, but also put it on your website with with Wistia embed. See which one's working, and see if you can you know move stuff so that you're capturing more of the traffic and sending it to Google. Um, and again, like tweaking the content for the platform. So if you have longer content, put that on the on Wistia, and ensure the shorter content on YouTube, so you can kind of you know again capture the interest as it comes up, but making sure that you're offering a different option in each platform and then allowing people to kind of differentiate as they need it. Um, so yeah, it, it's a tricky one to navigate with that specific like optimization, but I, I would always encourage companies to like think longer term about making sure that they're capturing the traffic rather than gifting it all to to Google just as a sort of short term solution to what is ultimately a longer term problem of, of um, audience development. And uh, yeah. there, there's all that like SERP optimization, but really you need to think about how are we actually building uh, our customers and and it's very hard to do that if you're sending all your traffic to youtube so but yeah you can you can get you can get videos ranked on any platform there's not a particular platform bias that that google has except that it automatically gets all the data from youtube which offers a you know a certain level of um not preference but like automation and an easier route into ranking i suppose
0: speaking about seo you were an seo yourself in a former life Speak about that transition from, from SEO to uh, brand strategist or, sorry, brand and marketing strategist.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, I'm still, still an SEO, I suppose, in many ways at heart. Um, and it, that, that was, I mean, so my my initial um, route into marketing was was through uh, like video, I suppose, in the sense that I, you know, I studied film and theater at university and worked in that world for a while. So I've always been kind of a, a creative um and then I sort of ended up working for a for an agency called Distilled and from there kinda of learned you know, the more technical sides of SEO and and you know, website building and and you know, basically all technical marketing and having that kind of broad base. So yeah, you know, if we think about that T shaped marketer thing, I've kinda of got that T and now I've got a few areas where I'm I have deep expertise and SEO is one of them, video's another, brand is another one and I'm, you know, slowly trying to complete the set, I suppose, and, and I end up going down those <laughs> routes where I get interested in the same thing and then spend ages learning about that. So um, yeah, analytics is the next one. I need to get really good at that, but get in there.
0: Yeah, it's always some something uh, to improve, right? Uh, but I'm curious, what is it? I mean, you still somewhat, you still probably have a footing in SEO. Uh, I, I suppose at least that that's what it looks like from the outside. But what does it feel like having a different focus right now? I think that's what a lot of SEOs wonder about. It's like, hey, how would I think about SEO if that was not my core, um, full fo- uh, uh, focus or my my core role? Um, talk about that a bit.
1: Well, so I think the most important thing that I've recognized. Um, is both a blessing and a curse in that you know for me personally i think seo is the perfect grounding to understand broader marketing because it forces you to think and understand a huge amount of concepts that most marketers don't understand and i would say that most other marketing disciplines are quite um discreet and siloed and you can just learn a bit about email just learn a bit about Um, PPC or ads and you don't need to learn the rest of it but SEO forces you to learn a bit of everything that's why I think it gives you that particular skill and and for me you know the best marketers that I deal with tend to have a bit of SEO knowledge at least or or a background there so I I think so to know that you have a superpower if you know a lot of SEO that most marketers don't have is a good thing the other problem is most marketers don't understand a thing about seo the 95 percent of marketers you come across don't understand it at all um and that's a real problem because it's hard to sort of get buy-in people don't understand how to value it they don't understand the principles behind it they think it doesn't work when you've just started out you know they're used to sort of commoditized purchasing so it, it's uh it, it, that as everybody knows is a huge challenge but but for me it's been i i think it's very useful to have that grounding and, and and I would continue always to try and understand, you know, the latest updates, what's going on, understand the landscape, um, because I think that's where the really top end and interesting parts of marketing are are materializing, even if they then bleed into other areas like brand. So, the, like the reason that I've got into brand is through SEO, in the sense that I started to, you know, look at metrics and start to understand a bit more about what was going on through search, and noticed that certain actions would have impact on search that others wouldn't. And a lot of that was around, you know, like content creation and what kind of content's delivering the most value in terms of brand search impressions. Well that that's a SEO question to some extent, but it's also one about brand marketing. And through that I've then expanded my knowledge and started to perhaps I think Bring a unique, you know, technical and data-driven perspective to brand marketing that, in my view, makes me stand out amongst a lot of people in that space because I know how to measure it, and nobody else does. And that—that's something that I think most SEOs also have, but it's just a case of applying it to that wider space.
0: Yeah, I think a thousand people listening to this now told themselves that you know you're preaching to the choir when you said that most marketers don't know. I think about seo and it's it's a really it's really a problem and it's part also our own responsibility because we don't do a good enough job in educating everyone but that's like a, a fight that a lot of seos fight on a consistent basis
1: yeah it's a, it's a trick and i, well, I think it is partially our responsibility but it's also it should be the responsibility of all marketers to to learn it and they, it's not enough to say it's not my wheelhouse and i don't understand it because if you continue to do that you will get left behind
0: Yes, and the content is out there, right? Like you can educate yourself. So uh, I guess it's a shared responsibility. Um, and I wonder, you know, what does your day-to-day look like now that you, you know, are in this brand and marketing strategist role at with You, um, you know, I, I'm doing a lot less sort of
1: um, short-term day-to-day kind of deliverables. It's a lot of long-term planning, thinking, um, working out strategy, messaging audience definition um so kind of a lot more about positioning and measurement and understanding trying to kind of build up an understanding internally within the business of where we're going and what the what the story is going to be so i'm spending a lot more time thinking about stories and thinking about how to tell them and perhaps a little bit less time actually kind of doing the day-to-day stuff and and uh, recording and writing things but um yeah it's been been
0: interesting and fun sounds like a dream job though. Uh, so it's like really exciting, especially, you know, uh, because so much marketing moves towards the, uh, towards the direction of performance marketing, where everything has to be quantifiable, everything has to lead to a dollar um, and, and be justified. So I'm just wondering about, you know, your perspective. Um, what's it like to, to play the long game and really focus on, on all the nice juicy things like audience positioning um, and brand building?
1: Well, well, it's good. I mean, so I think Whisky is very fortunate, and you know, one of the reasons why I've, I've continued to work at Wistia for a long time now is that the um, is that they get it, and that, that Wistia understands that it's a long game and doesn't very much think in terms of the short term final stuff. Now, I think we could actually do a better job at being more. Yeah, short-term focused and there's a lot of plumbing at we see that maybe isn't as because it should be in terms of the marketing infrastructure but the but we've always been very good about thinking long term about brand and so it's been a pleasure to be able to come into a company where that is understood and that that sort of thinking is valued and respected um so, yeah, I think it's just a, a great fortunate think about the, the way Wistia works and the way it has historically been built through the embracing of, of creativity. And that's always been the main thing that, that Wistia is driven by. So it's very easy to slot in a bit of kind of good brand thinking and brand marketing there. Um, so I'm just very fortunate in in that regard, I think.
0: What's something you can learn from music and music theory about brand building and telling stories oh goodness um (laughs)
1: that's an interesting question
0: so well i think it's i mean this is a very
1: simple one but maybe that you know the the best ideas are always around uh, are always simple and it's and in music it's about theme and variation it always is so it's always about if you you need that single idea that people immediately understand and can key in with and remember and then take them on a journey through that and the same is true with all kind of brand marketing like you need to they need to get the idea instantly they need to understand the principle and then you need to take them on that journey through the idea exploring it um so it can't be a disintegrated mess of kind of different random ideas um you need that consistency but it also uh you know that that idea needs to be easily understood if you can't explain it to your you know just some random person in the pub it's not clear enough it's not good enough and that's true of music as well. You know, you have, they have, you have to be able to sing the the theme and someone has to be able to pick it up and, and remember it. It's, yeah, that's the central truth. How did you get so deep into music? Uh, I don't know, I am that deep into music. I just have a lot of, I think it's just the nature of my office. I've got a ton of musical toys in it. Um, but no, I'm really into, theater the main thing I'm really into, but. Um, I can't. I don't. I can't get a theatre in my own apartment, so I've just got a, a little bit of a musical. I have a kind of musical themed office room, I suppose. And when I'm, yeah, not writing, I'll take a few minutes just to play some piano or guitar or something, and and use that as a bit of an inspiration. But um, yeah.
0: And what got you into theatre?
1: Uh, I guess I uh, Shakespeare really. I think I just I loved Shakespeare. I just always did, and I got with the the writing immediately and. Just understood the, the the genius of the characters and uh, and just ended up loving it and exploring it and that became a kind of a f- some fundamental passion. Got into opera and got into all sorts of things and yeah, that's me.
0: <laughs> opera sounds a lot like long form content.
1: Opera is definitely long form content. Opera is a great <laughs> example. It's often very simple stories told beautifully um, with as much expression as possible. So,
0: what's your favorite? Okay, uh, I'm gonna. Um uh ask only one more question about um the subject of, of music and theater but what's your favorite shakespeare uh play and what's your favorite opera uh
1: whoa. favorite opera is probably either and uh, or just a bit just you know everything ready really and then um shakespeare let's go um measure for measure i'm currently very interested in um but I, I, Macbeth is, is brilliant as well. There, there's, there's there's a few you can't really the whole the whole work he he's he said everything about everything really. I'm so actually that's, thinking that's... of maybe uh, doing some long form content myself about Shakespeare tenuously applied to marketing. So we'll see if that comes out.
0: <laughs> you should absolutely do that. Uh, I'm sure there you know that that's what we talked about earlier, right? There's like I'm sure there's a huge fake, uh, Shakespeare. Uh, fan tribe out there on the internet, it, right? It, so... I think it's
1: just me and Jono Alderson,
0: but, but that's enough. I'll <laughs> do. Uh, Jono, such a good guy. <laughs> Shout out at this point. Uh, so uh, I want to be respectful of your time um, and I want to wrap this up, but there are three more questions. Sure. Three short questions that I'd love to ask you. The first one is What is something really weird about you? Uh, I can lick my own elbow. <laughs> no one else can do that. Mm, there we are. <laughs> Wow. I'm okay, I'm impressed. That is <laughs> I wanted to ask you okay, like show, but you just did. This is yeah, wow. You got to Amazing. back it up. Um uh, the second question would be what have you changed your mind about recently?
1: Um oh. Gosh. I mean, well, so <laughs> while well, this one, I used to think the biggest threat to, you know, civilization was yeah, you know, perhaps like bad ideas or or the environment, and now I realise that it's um, it's just somebody trying to eat a bat. Uh, so that was, that's <laughs> been an interesting revelation. Um, maybe so. Maybe topically. So I think you know I, I used to think social media was a net good for society, and I've now gone fully on that it's it's a net probably a net negative. Um, so I, I'm a bit bullish on on the on moving away from social media as a, from a personal perspective, not necessarily as a, a marketer. I'm not, I'm not wholly convinced it's doing us any good.
0: Absolutely fair.
1: Oh, and no, one, I have a musical one. I've, I've kind of understood and got into country music and I
0: used to hate it, but now, now I've, I've come around on that one. Oh yeah. That's a journey that I still have to accomplish. <laughs> I think I'm not there yet. Uh, but I'm, I'm open. Um, and then the, the last one of the three questions would be, um, how has failure set you up for success? Gosh, that is a great question. I will answer it on a sort
1: of personal level, I suppose. You know, I, I've gone through plenty of, um, certainly early in my career, some, you know, difficult financial times and struggled with not having much work and not much money. And 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 I think that has always left me very appreciative and quite hungry for the work that I'm doing and, and not taking for granted any sort of, you um, yeah, no, it's a great, it's a great privilege to work in marketing where you can earn a lot of money and people are generally great to work with, and and you can sit down at a desk and work from home and you know, all that stuff. Yeah, you know, I think we should be very grateful for. So, and um, that set me up for successes. I don't take anything for granted, and I don't, I'm not entitled. Um, and and yeah, and, and I think I've you know over the course made every mistake you can in terms of like campaigns measurement. I've overspent on PPC. I've you know forgotten to turn things off for clients i've undersold projects and had to take a loss on them all these things so and i think each one you you learn from and you improve so i i'm hoping that i'm going to continue to fail in new and interesting ways over the next few years
0: i love that that's such a good good way to end on that note um Everybody, of course, you can uh, find Phil on Twitter on uh, under Phil Nottingham, uh, on LinkedIn as well. you want to go to wistia.com. Phil, anything else that I forgot to plug or to mention? Uh,
1: I don't think so. No.
0: Um, I would just uh, say if you want to see
1: what some good long-form video is, check out what we're doing at Wistia. Uh, wistia.com slash series. And you can watch all the stuff we've come up with there. And um, always appreciate any feedback anyone has.
0: Thank you. And all of these links will obviously be in the show notes, Phil. I want to thank you so much for coming on, uh, not just because you shared a ton of wisdom with me today, but also because, you know, you recently had surgery and so, uh, you know, you're, you're a real hero. I appreciate that. So no
1: much. problem. Thank you, Kevin. It's been lovely to just, uh, been sort of the first thing I've done since my surgery. So nice to, nice to get back on the horse and feel like I'm, uh, doing something productive.
0: Absolutely. Um, so yep. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, and I'll speak to you soon. Lovely. Take care.
1: Thank you. Three,
0: two, one.